0: everybody welcome once again to rise of the gm podcast where today we're going to be talking about a wizard's rivalry we're going to look at campaign arcs and planning those and then talk about an eccentric wizard all here on rise of the gm all right well hey we're back again today and uh we are in the middle of a planning uh little try a trilogy, trifecta, a trilogy of planning topics. We talked last week about planning a campaign and kind of what goes into that as you're starting to do the whole long-term campaign and get that plan going. Today, we're narrowing that down. We're going to talk about planning the arc, planning something that is just uh, going to be the next few sessions. And then next time we talk, actually not next week, because next week we're going to have a Thanksgiving special, right? A short oh, yeah. Thanksgiving feast. Yep. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, uh, but the following week, we will wrap up this planning uh, topic, and that will be planning uh, the exact session as you get ready to go into a night, what you need to do to plan there. But today we're in that middle ground. Yep. So we're going to talk about that here in a moment. But before mm-hmm. we do, we are going to talk about our encounter. Yeah. Uh, That we have every time uh, we have this little encounter starter that you can use if you're just looking for something to drop into a campaign and this may be the one for you so we're going to start here with the wizard's rivalry or the uh yeah the rivalry the wizard's rivalry I'll just say that four times until <laughs> I can't say it anymore. <laughs> All right, let me read this. Then we'll uh, we'll talk about it a little bit or kind of discuss this. Uh, you have two members of a prominent wizard's guild who uh, seek a very rare spell component, uh, and the wizard who possesses the component will uh have prestige will win prestige and bragging rights because of this but the two mages are aware that there's only one place where the component can be found and it's inside an old ruined wizard school and so they decide to make things interesting by turning their hunt into a contest each hires a group of adventurers to retrieve the component and they promise to use only minor magic to make things interesting for the adventurers. now the thing is they don't tell the adventurers this so you got these two wizards in like a gentleman's club and they're like oh let's just make it interesting shall we and so they they do this the pcs in your group are hired by one of the wizards to retrieve the components for a fee what the wizard doesn't tell them is that there's a second group of adventurers who are on the same quest at the same time and so mm-hmm. there's going to be some run-ins there. Uh, the next morning, the PCs are ready to leave for the ruins and they find their horses are gone. That's a small trick by the rival wizard, okay? Little things like this keep happening to the PCs until they reach the ruins. After suffering several magical practical jokes, the PCs reach the ruins and begin their exploration. And along the way, uh, they discover as they're in these ruins that they're not alone. Mm. So they see signs of a battle, monster's blood, you know, doors that have been spiked shut, ropes hanging from high ledges where someone had climbed there and they, they get the sense someone else is here in these ruins following one or more encounters with monsters the PCs reach the chamber that contains the component here in this old Wizards school uh, and the other group of adventures arrives at the same time and so you'll have to figure out as the GM how that's going to look uh, how will the PCs react will they try to make a deal with the other adventurers? Uh, who will get the components to their patron first? All these are questions you get to answer. Depending on the tone of the campaign and the nature of the other adventuring party, this plot can be serious uh, and, and life-threatening, or it can be funny, right? It can be lighthearted if the parties try to trick or steal the components from one another, or it can get gritty and dark pretty quick if the adventures uh, become violent and try to kill the poachers. Uh, and again, you can kind of help nudge this in one direction or the other. Uh, if they survive, you can also use the other party as recurring rivals throughout your campaign. And I think we've done that sort of thing before where there's been a second adventuring party. I remember particularly we had one, the Wanderers, I think they were called. Uh, <laughs> the Travelers and, I, and the Wanderers. I don't, the Travelers and the Wanderers. We were one of those parties. I can't even yeah. remember now. And they were the other one. And, yeah, and we yeah. did meet uh, back up a few times, but so you have this, uh, a couple of wizards who as a, like a little gentleman's adventure or a little gentleman's bet, they, they decide they they both want this, <laughs> uh, and they, they decide to make it hard. They don't tell the adventurers. So what kind of stuff do you make? Uh, if you would have this kind of encounter that you would think I might drop this into the campaign, how would that look? What would this look like to you?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's, cause you don't want to tip the hand of, right away that there's like more people involved in this right but i do when you said gentlemen's like kind of uh yeah these two wizards in like a smoking lounge or something you know like that that i i kind of like the idea of you know even if it's just a tavern that the something going on in this like tavern that these pcs are in you see these wizards in a hefty debate you know over here and that that could even it's not necessarily going to be like, oh, yeah, they're going to be my team. You you better watch out because they're coming for you, you know, kind of thing. But that they even would be able to later look back and be like, oh, that conversation was happening, you know, like after all of this, then um, I kind of like the idea of that being or maybe they, these guys are arguing and then one of the Wizards comes over and it's like. You guys look like you could handle yourselves anyone looking for a job you know like that that kind of thing being you know, able to tie into the game
0: um well it might be cool uh just kind of going off that because i like that idea of uh you could maybe spy them in the back room in that like you know leather and wood and smoky yeah. you know that right, gentleman's yeah. club sort of feel yeah. uh you see these two talking and maybe there's something about the other one that stands out physically uh, right. so that he's memorable uh, yeah, yeah, and sure. then uh you see him uh they kind of come out and the one kind of looks around and walks over to you guys and starts a conversation but you maybe also notice before they before they come to the door uh you're sitting in this place and as the dm or the gm you describe the room uh you can say you know there's several people scattered it looks like another adventuring party or two are in the room one of them has you know and you describe some characteristics that would again stick out in your mind And uh, you see maybe that other guy go over and talk to them without pointing that out, you know, so that it becomes like, oh, this is important. Uh, Somehow let them know that, uh, or maybe you just point out what they look like and you don't ever show the other guy, go talk to them. But then when they are in this school and they finally walk into the same room at the same time, you recognize, wait, these are those guys who were in that you know and uh so then maybe the pieces yeah, start to sure. get put together
1: <laughs> yeah that's that's cool that's that cool foreshadowing you know that i feel like we right we kind of speak into every now and then but
0: and this is the kind of thing that as a gm if you want that to have those kinds of satisfying like oh yeah moments this is the pre-planning part yeah. um, because this is a little encounter you can drop in and you could get to the end, and it's like, oh, there's two part two parties after this, and you just know it's a, a random generic party. But if you do something very specific, um, then it's a, it's just a little bit of planning, but it can like really make the uh, the campaign seem like more permanent, <laughs> more right. more ongoing yeah, than just yeah. you know we're just facing like something random that mm-hmm. just came in here, you know.
1: For sure, yeah, I I like the idea too kind of going bouncing with that again uh maybe these um whatever this other adventuring party is that they're you can foster some friendship even prior you know because i I think that even like adds another element and i a question you know i wanted to throw to you in a second is is that idea of like serious versus kind of funny like where do you go Mm -hmm. what what's your inclination but um I I think there's a there's a complexity there that like okay they've been in the tavern we don't really realize what's going on that fighter over there buys our party a drink they hang out through the night and their you know friendships are formed and tales are told and, and all these things and then you go under separate ways and then you show up at this wizard school and you're both both parties are looking down onto this you know, library or whatever, where this thing is kept and you realize, oh, shoot, we're in competition here. What are we going to do? You know, kind of thing. And I think you could add some, there's a tension there of like, okay, well, these are supposed to be friendlies. Do we work together now? You know? And I also wonder about kind of to go into this funny or serious, like, is there a point where you even like bring people together you know, kind of thing of, uh, there's a trap that when you you finagle with this thing, it fills the room up with water and you can only get out if you work together, you know, and then like how how does that kind of thing, or is this just like knock down, drag out, fight, whoever gets to it first wins, you know, kind of thing. I don't, do you have like a, even from a DMing standpoint, like how do you see yourself moving with that?
0: Yeah, so this this is one of those instances where I would totally follow the lead of my PCs. Um, so they're going to, if I think you can, at the beginning, make uh, that, you know, tales are told, camaraderie is built, and then you happen to face these people. That puts the dilemma.
1: Yeah. And then
0: right. you lay that in mm-hmm. their lap and see what they do. Uh, I think we, I've encountered some groups that no matter who they come across, they're ready to, Kill them and take what's theirs. <laughs> uh, and then I've come across yeah. other groups where they, they just can't see, oh, I can't just kill this person because I don't think they're evil. They're right. just doing their job, you know, and right. um, who knows what your group is going to be. I would let this turn into whatever they wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they wanted to, uh, I think it could very easily, uh, if they've already kind of built a relationship, turn into something where they say, okay, these two rich guys are just having fun at our expense what about yeah. us taking some uh, agency in this and right. and uh, deciding we're not going to give it to either one or we're going to make them, we're going to play them against each other in some way, you know, uh, and again, that would have to be them coming up with that. But right. I think yeah. I would probably allow it to turn cooperative or um, competitive on their, on their decision. And yeah. I'd be okay with either one if I were running this, if, they wanted to like go at each other and figure out how to you know kill everybody and get Mm -hmm. it on their own that would be them and maybe i would make some consequences to that uh yeah and then if they decided to do together they would have to come up with an idea and i would react to it right yeah (laughs) and i found that they they seem to always have an idea that they come up with and then i'm like okay how can i make that (laughs) for sure I,
1: i think it could be interesting to pull the uh split the party but what happens is half of the other group and half of the party get divided from the other halves and then and then they have to work together you know whether it's like oh there's creatures that we're not strong enough to fight just the two of us we need these two guys too or you know uh or like well we're in a position where she needs to stand on my shoulders even though we're kind of competitors right now. So she can reach the door so that I can pull myself up. You know, like I think it'd be interesting to even do that where you could force them to work together, but then you're splitting the party and that gets kind of funky a lot of times too. So I, I don't know. I, I, really like, I think even, you know, if this wasn't a, for you, James out there, you're like, ah, it's, this doesn't really feel like something that's going to fit in. I think one of the points they're making of that idea where you're walking through the dungeon and you see like the rope hanging down or like, there's a creature that's already been killed over here or that kind of thing. I think that stuff's really good for just considering the dungeons or the rooms or whatever explorations that are happening. Um, once again, it's like more fleshing out of the thing. It's not just these stark walls that, no one has ever touched ever but there's like signs of life even if it's not oh there's another party of people coming into whatever we're doing i think that can really help like bring some depth to things too
0: and we get so used to uh, our pcs get so used to well the rest of the world are these npcs that are here for our sake but we are the ones who matter to realize okay there are other player characters in the world who are also out trying to do the same yeah culture, right so. right yeah, can can be played well. So this this could be one that would be interesting. I think for me, the thing that would make it the most interesting is that pre recognition of mm-hmm. uh, of them in the bar and the, what could later be recalled as I think they were like making a deal or like setting up some sort of contest. And then the other interesting part is when they when you and the other group both walk in. And and there's that recognition and then yeah, yeah. throw it out there and see what the players do. Right. And uh, I think that's the fun of being a GM is basically making small dilemmas, making small scenarios, throwing them in and saying, what happens? Shake it up. <laughs> it's like right. throwing a bunch of ants in a box and shaking it. And seeing, <laughs> it seeing what happens. Right. Yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, I, yeah, I think that could be a lot of fun and that that also it throws a bunch of new new characters into the mix to that mm-hmm. just that one like thing. So
0: and somebody there may really stick with your party. They may, mm. you know, stick or none of them may. Yeah. yeah again, you have to allow allow that. Right. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. All right. Well that's our uh that's our encounter starter that we threw out there. The the wizards rivalry. Uh, and so you can see if that's something you drop in. If you drop that into a campaign and it works out well, let us know what your characters did. You know, come back on here uh, in some comment section to say, Hey, I did that wizards rivalry and here's what happened. Cause we yeah. love to hear that kind of stuff. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Uh, maybe you, your players even come up with an idea that we're like, Wow, that would be great to throw in our campaign. So, so do that. Hey, let's move on to uh, uh, our planning talk of the day. This is our kind yeah. of a main topic today. We, we talked last time about you're getting ready to start a campaign from from scratch. What's the whole planning process you go into? And we we had a lot that we talked about there as far as how you do that, how it grows, etc. But now you come down one level to you're in your campaign. You've started your campaign. I'm going to pretend that today we're not doing the first arc, okay? Because I kind of feel that we kind of kicked off. How do you kick off the arc last time? uh now we're you know you're in your campaign they're they've gotten to know each other things Mm -hmm. are going you're planning the next campaign arc okay Mm -hmm. whatever that is what kinds of things go into that planning um what how do you get your idea how do you decide where to start how do you decide where it's going to end how how much do you plan all of this stuff about each arc. And again, I told you, we're going to get later to, uh, Hey, tonight I have a session. How do I plan that session? But tonight's that middle ground. How do you plan the arc? And I'm going to let you start by talking about like when it's you and you have a group that you're getting ready to kind of enter a new chapter of the story. You just kind of finished a chapter. You're getting ready to start that arc. How does your planning for that? How does that go? What's that look like for
1: you? Yeah. 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 A little like maybe, under girding here um so i never ever thought in terms of arcs until more recently in my like gaming and gming lifespan here um and i think part of that was uh again we have talked about danny a bunch in the wav game but that never felt to me like a series of okay, we've accomplished. And, and I can look back at the story. I remember a lot of it to this day and I can see those things, but it all just felt so complete that when I was like, oh, like a campaign actually really just for all of you, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> you know, you can formulate this however you want. So just be aware of that. But it's like, oh, like a campaign is like multiple kind of things that get completed and build and up to this point, you know, was kind of a new, maybe a new idea for me rather than just one story. Um And so one thing I want to toss out is like, when I, when I think of arcs, I don't know that we have to, I don't know that the, the players necessarily have to like be aware. Okay. We're starting arc two, you know, kind of thing. And there have been moments where I feel like I've been, vocal about that as, as a GM of like, Hey, we're kind of moving into a new arc of the thing. Um, but I think it's, it is a good tool like for us, even in in the background of like our prep of thinking in terms of how to like parcel this out and kind of keep it moving in a certain way. Um, maybe changing gears on things. So, um, I just kind of wanted to undergird that a little bit of that's kind of where I come from when I talk about an arc. But uh so I'm I'm in an interesting place right now because our Jade Masks game that you know will be tonight um is our Thursday night game. Uh I am like so pulling back the veil. We're basically at the end of an arc right now of kind of some things have happened that are all been kind of together um and or the beginning of a new arc you know is kind of where it's at and so i'm in this interesting place of trying to wrap up a little bit of what this immediate story has been um and what i'm doing now you know part of me is like okay there could be a there could be a huge encounter and i I don't want to spoil things here but like there could be a huge encounter here looking at tonight, likely that's going to take up a lot of tonight, like between battle repercussions of the battle conversations that probably happen surrounding the battle, like all, all that's going to take up a good portion of our game time. But I also want to know like, okay, where, where are we going to go or where could we go? Where would we likely go out, out of this to the next thing? And so when I'm walking into that of like a start of a new arc, um, I like to come into that with multiple possibilities that I have, have already thought through. Um, So for this one, particularly right now where I'm at, like kind of post starting the new arc I've got three that I'm like, this is where they likely are going to go one of these three directions. Um, And I'm being vague again. <laughs> Matthew's in the game, uh, people who, I you know, watch us game in the game. Uh, but, uh, um, yeah, so I don't want to go too deep into that, but that that's kind of where I'm at in the moment of getting ready to start a new arc is the thing I want to think about currently is where could they be going? Um, and as we move into that, there's going to be at this point where, you know, the party chooses something like do they go to a to b to c and that's going to play a big role in like what the next groups of games are going to look at like where it's going to be locationally Um, but i i definitely am like spotlighting i think there, there was a question about uh even like um world and how you build your world and the scope of that uh, a while ago, maybe that was last time we we even talked. And um, I I tend to like zoom in. I'm trying to remember those current events that are out here. It's like okay, power power has shifted over here. This guy got left alive and he's causing trouble over here. But where is the group at? And when those choices are made, I can. It's kind of like killing off the timeline. You know, you can just like bring it in and I'm going to focus in now on what's specifically here and we're going to follow that line. So, um, that's, that's a little bit kind of my, where I'm at right now being vague. I've got more and more stuff, but where are you at Matthew? When you like are starting a new kind of segment of the game, a new arc of the game, what are the things you're thinking through?
0: So for me, I think the first thing you have to do as a GM is decide what is an arc What's going to define an arc for me? So you have your campaign, right? Your full campaign in my head, um, you know, let's say uh, in the blood of Kings, I think that was the one where I had the nine moons and I'm like, okay, so what the entire arc is going to be is they're going to start in this place and uh, they're going to wake up on these tables, experimentation tables, and they don't know what's going on. Uh, and there's a people raiding the castle or whatever. And the, the place that I want to get them to is this, this is kind of my, my overarching arc. What's going to be my, what's, what's going to be, uh, my each individual arc, uh, what's going to specify that. And so for me, typically that is one of two things it's either places or goals. And so as, as a GM yourself think what are the major goals or what are the major places? So in my current campaign, um, uh, there, there are seven kingdoms. Those seven kingdoms all had their own, uh, the old gods, right? Yeah, this is so, so different than everything you've ever heard of, right? Game of Thrones people, seven <laughs> <laughs> kingdoms, seven yeah. old gods. But anyway, there was uh, these seven kingdoms. And so very much, I, I immediately began thinking, okay, they're going to start in East Varan, West Varan. They're going to start in West Varan. And um, there are also these power stones that they were looking for that that they didn't know that at the beginning but it kind of became known that there are these different stones of power and as they collect those they're heading towards something they don't know what but they get this idea that they need to collect these and so um very easily my campaign uh, the small little campaign arcs not the whole campaign but the the each arc uh, could be getting this power stone or yeah their time in this kingdom okay and so i had to decide what that's going to be and so for me it became more about uh at the beginning getting uh each power stone because in one of them they left uh west i always have to think they left east varan and went to Ramansat. those are two different kingdoms but they were in pursuit of one of those Power stones, you know, so they, they had this whole arc of power stone around getting the wrath stone first. Then they had this whole uh, arc around getting the crystal ball, you know, the, the the stone of luck. And then they had one against getting the, the I forget what the, the, the sandstone, the one of time manipulation. Mm-hmm. And they had, you know, one again. So each of these, they might go to different continents and different places, but I was making the arc the getting of that. Okay. And so that might have several locations. uh, They may teleport. And one of them, they were, you know, all the way in Telarishi on one side of the continent. And they ended up going to see this weird dude who had dolls hanging by little threads all over the place. And they teleported to the other side of the kingdom. And all of this was still in the arc of getting the, uh, Orbion, as right. we came yeah. to call it, the orb beyond, which one of my characters misheard as Orbion, and that became his <laughs> name. Uh, so, uh, getting the Orbion to, it, so it wasn't divided into place for me. It was divided into goal, and so right. I think the first thing you have to do as a GM is decide uh, what's going to be the demarcation of an arc. Um, mm-hmm. And so once you kind of have that, now here's the thing about that campaign. There, there, there's the overall arching campaign, uh, and then I knew that they had to end up completing the quest to get these seven stones, and they could do that in whatever order they chose. That's the beauty of not railroading, right? They could decide right at the beginning, we're heading over there, and we're going after that, and right. I I, I begin to plan that arc around that then. Uh, but they did all of this, and they have finally collected the seven stones, but then there's more. And so now it's not my arcs are no longer defined by getting the stones. That was the first seven arcs of of my campaign. But then the arcs become, once they get those seven stones, what is it that has to happen? And so the goals are no longer like getting, uh, getting the stones, but now it's about very specific parts that are leading up. And I'm not going to talk about what those parts are, because again, this is an ongoing <laughs> But uh, I have in my mind, I know what the next arcs, the next goals. Uh, mm-hmm. And so for me, typically, uh, it's goals that demark each arc that I have to mm-hmm. then plan out. Again, when I did uh, Blood of Kings, which was uh, set up in this teleportation circle that went to nine different moons, each of those moons was its own place with its own, uh, they had to do something there. And once they completed that, that moon was pretty much complete. You think about a video game, you go to one, you know, one world and you do everything there. Then you teleport back to your little teleportation circle and you go to the next one. That one was very much place, although there was a goal in each place, but it it wasn't one of those things where they're just going to be kind of constantly. Teleporting back and forth between all these moons and, and this stuff. So that one was very much place oriented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so that can be different depending on your campaign and what you're telling in your story. Mm-hmm. But I think the first thing is you have to decide what is it that's going to demark um, an arc. For. Yeah. Okay. Then once you get that, uh, so like let's go back, um, let's say to you guys were getting the um sandstone okay so they had to go to this place called the temple of tears uh and in this place uh, that was in the middle of this this kingdom that was all sand it was called the strand and it is a place just made up of uh of all you know desert and in there they would encounter this place where they found this one stone and then they would eventually get that and get out of there and then they would begin their next arc and so i had to in that in that arc then decide What's the beginning of this going to look like? Uh, what are the obstacles in this going to look like? How do they, you know, the goal obviously in this one was to get the stone. And then how do they get out? So those are the things like as far as my markers, uh, how do they get in? Mm-hmm. Major obstacles, the what says success, and then how right. do you get out? Those yeah. four things. And then when we went to the next place, yeah, I think you went from there to Ramansat. And it was like the, the, the crystal ball. And you had to go into that uh, heavily trapped uh, fortress of the dwarves, um, and uh, all of the mountains between there with the the alchemist and uh, the, the little spider creature, and uh, all this. you you people yeah. listening won't understand all <laughs> yeah. of the, the references, but yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not just like you go to a place and that's an arc. So they went, uh, mm-hmm. they they ended up in these mountain peaks um, and. Somebody, uh, Daston Basilis, was going to tell them how to get to a, right. a, a place where there was this big, giant construct, the perfect construct that they were looking for. Uh, but before they got to that construct, they had to go into the, I forget what I called it, the, the Fortress of the Dwarves, but it was like bad. Crystal Cavern or? Uh... Uh, something. And they went in there and nearly died several times, a lot of traps in there, and uh, yeah. they had to defeat uh, like a demonling that was, uh, mm-hmm. that was trying to become more. And then they came out of there and they finally got to, you know, and they, and they got that stone in there. But then when they came out, they ended up going to uh, the peak. They finally, you know, talked to this uh, alchemist who then, you know, once they rescued this uh, invention that he'd made, taken that back. He then told them how to get to the peak. They got to the peak and at that point they kind of were set on their next yeah right you know to go to go find the one that was in Tellarishi. So again, I had to look at how did they enter? They entered by you know teleporting from the strand over to this you know, on a mountain pass is where they started. And then they had to, like, go to uh, this guy on the peaks. They had to follow his little side trail. And in doing so, they ended up going to this place. They found the stone. They come back. They talk to him. He tells them how to get to the next place and how do they get out. Okay. So again, I had marker points along the way. In all of that, certain things would happen that were unplanned that would build into part of that arc. And uh, at the same time, I was kind of going through the parts of that Checkpoint uh, mm-hmm. of, of each part in that arc. So, uh, I've kind of talked a lot about my idea is making sure I understand my, what is an arc? before yeah, I start. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, when, when you first start playing D, you may not realize, you may not think in terms of arcs. You may just think, okay, this is just one, ex, you know, uh, this exciting thing happened. And then we went to this place and this exciting thing happened and this, and we kind of have this overall goal. And you may not yet be recognizing arcs uh, because right. you haven't been thinking that way. But as you become a GM and you're planning, you probably need some of those arcs. Uh, mm-hmm. When people go to write a novel, one of the hardest things to do is when somebody sits down in front of a typewriter and they just decide to start typing a story. It's like, okay, there was this guy and he was traveling along in his little, you know, country hamlet. And then some things happen and he was you know, known to be greater. And he went to this place and you're just trying to write a story straight through. Mm -hmm. It's going to, it's going to sound like you're rambling. Okay. When you start writing a story like that, every book on writing a novel will tell you, okay, first decide your major arcs, you know, and then in those arcs, divide those down into smaller arcs. And and they often tell you to like, take an index card and say, this is the first main arc. Okay. Mm -hmm. That first main arc breaks into three sub arcs. Each of those arcs will have you know, three movements in each one, and so then once you outline all of that, then you start writing the story. Right. It's a lot more interesting because you know how to weave in um, parts and 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 show that progress, and, yeah. and you know all of that organization though is not in the reader's mind when they sit down to read the book. They start reading the book and they just right. follow it word for word until they get to the end, and you know it hit this big climax, and you know had the denouement and all that stuff they didn't really necessarily look for the arcs until they were past them. And yeah. it's the same thing as a GM. You're like an author. I, we, we talk about this all the time. It's it's writing great stories together, or not writing, it's it's acting, it's, it's creating great mm. stories together with your PCs. And so as a GM, you're going to think a little more like an author than a reader.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the literary reference is really good too. I was thinking that like, maybe a simplified way to think is even okay if we have a trilogy that's been written the way those arcs look are like the book so go back to my my uh, lord of the rings you know thing here it's like first arc is kind of the understanding of the quest and moving through here to this point of the the fellowship is created but then it breaks at the end of the the first book second arc kind of follows multiple people, but one is trying to get to Mordor and being uh, kind of that having hiccups through that way. And then finally getting to crossing into Mordor for some of them. Some of the other ones, it's going into the first battles, having a victory, but knowing bigger battles are to come. Third arc, massive battle, all the stuff that goes into that finally ending with spoiler the ring goes in the mountain what you know it's like uh so and, and there's victory you know and i think that that's like a maybe generalized way to think about arcs like if you have a thought through those but pick your favorite trilogy that's kind of how those things are are moving it's escalating um, say those two things again, Matthew, one was location. The other one was like accomplishment or goals goals. Yeah. yeah.
0: So the goal of getting the stones for me and then I have right. goals beyond those stones, yeah. um, that's going to end in the major goal, the overall right. goal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's like really, really good. That's the, like a great way that de- de- marking that. Um, I, 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 like to have kind of be moving toward a resolution, not full resolution, if it's not the final arc, but like that there's kind of a, or even think about a, a, a series of a show you like, you know, kind of thing it resolves, but it also leaves things open to move forward. And, um, looking at like, what is that? That's the goal thing. I think of like, how, how can this resolve some things, but create more avenues for it to go out from here. Um, I also really like either the end or the beginning, however you want to look at it, of an arc to uh I don't want to say lore dump, but like those there are there are moments of you more 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 things are being revealed to you. So mm-hmm. um, you know, in uh look Jade Masks again, the first arc was Really, just establishing yourself in the city uh, as these people in the thieves guild, um, and but then there was a there was a little bit of a reveal of okay, some like weird things are happening. There's like multiple kind of weird groups that are converging on the city for some reason. Um, also, the head of the thieves guild has the secret, and he wants you to take him so he can like lay down the mantle of of being this like head that was kind of first arc second arc was basically the travel seeing him through to the end but then that opened up a whole nother another thing because when he laid down the mantle you also are interacting with the bigger picture of all these ley lines that we've kind of talked about and actually interacting with an avatar of a god you know and being like oh something bigger is happening here but we don't really know what third arc was kind of coming back and then getting connected into the city more that were the, really were the resolve. And it wasn't so much a goal, I guess it was more locational, but it's like the resolve was you finally came down to kind of this hub of all these ley lines and had a greater understanding because you had a vision of, Oh, so these gods, uh, captured or, uh, imprisoned, this Titan from long ago, and that's what these things are about. And now some of these lines are breaking. We may want to do something about that, you know? Um, So that kind of ended that one. And then this arc that you've been on now is like traveling to try to fix that problem, you know? And so um, I like to have the resolve and then the kind of continuing reveal to be part of those changes into a new arc too but i really like i really like that way of thinking of like okay where are the goals or where is the location that when we deal with this and we move on that's kind of the new shift kind of thing mm-hmm. so that, that is really cool mm-hmm.
0: and there's a um a question in here again i'm i'm always going to try and hit both sides of this mm-hmm. because i know there are people in both places but like what's the difference in a campaign arc when you are kind of creating everything and Mm -hmm. a campaign arc where you're like taking a module now okay so it's not like a full written campaign but there's a full written module and you're like i would like to place this in as as this arc yeah Uh, and so uh, if you do that as far as how much do you plan to start that's the kind of question i'm getting to here when uh, you are putting in so I put in Veil of the Frozen Tears which is a written module I took it and twisted it and ripped parts out completely and put parts in and I connected it to my overall um, world history and you know mythology and all of that stuff uh, as far as where I wanted things to go and who the deities and and demons and such were and uh, where things had come from Uh, so it wasn't like I just dropped it in and ran it exactly as the module said, but uh, I used a good part of this module to do that. um, And we talked about this some last week. I had to read that module through a lot of times to get my brain around every aspect of, of not only where it went in the module, but also where am I changing things so that it's not this person who's the bad guy at the end but that just opens the door to where they're going next um and you know here's how i'm going to tie this in grafted uh-huh. into my campaign so more planning has to happen if i'm using a module than if i am um kind of freewheeling i guess you could say like if i have a module and i know okay you know when i did the the Temple of Tears thing I was just talking about in the strand there was no module involved in that. I I knew they were going to enter in this sand. I knew they were going to meet someone named Amira. I knew that they were going to uh, oh wait that happened yeah anyway they were going to end up traveling to this temple of Tears. they were going to have all of the encounters that I had planned in there. they were going to then you know leave that place and come to this huge giant gate that would teleport them. so I had my markers but, I could i could be a little more free as i'm going to develop any one area and i could be a little bit more free to add encounters and yeah. you know because it wasn't so much that i had to make yeah you know, i i was making this as i went and so there's a little bit different as far as how much do you plan to start when i started that temple of tears it was more rudimentary with uh, i had i had maybe the you know the idea of the first couple sessions and i had the idea of the The great Temple of Tears sessions pretty much worked out in my head, but there was a lot of more freedom getting to those places, getting from those places and developing in between those places. Uh, When I drop a module in, which some of you will do, and I highly recommend using modules to spark um, imagination and and keep you from just having the same kind of scenes over and over again in your work, because there's a lot of really good modules out there. But I also recommend you know, like uh, adapting those to fit. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going to do that, I've got to do a lot more planning, and I've got to have a real good sense of how this is going to run all the way through. Now, will exact sessions be planned? That's a topic for the session planning, but yeah. <laughs> I'm going to spoil it. Yeah. No, I won't plan every session, but mm-hmm. I will know where it's going uh, right. because it has to in order to follow the module.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah uh kind of illustrative thing um if we go back to so you know we're talking again this is mostly focused in the like the DD pathfinder fantasy rpg kind of i feel like our conversations here but go back to our conversation with uh, sam grant a while ago um, about the sentinels rpg mm-hmm. um, the way that those are kind of gathered is uh you're you're like I don't even, I don't want to call it a session because I'm always slow and turn every one into two, even though it's a one, but it's like <laughs> an adventure, you know, kind of thing. Um, yeah. issue is what the, you know, the SCRPG calls it is like, this is issue number one. Um, you know, and this is where, uh, uh like in, in the game I'm, I'm running, you know, issue one was there, uh, They find out that there are um, these drugs being sold that are giving people superpowers um, from a reporter. And she meets them and then they witness it happen. And then they track down the baddie who was doing the selling to the distribution place. They beat up a bunch of thugs and they find out from a kind of a bigger villain, oh, this is a bigger deal than what we thought. Like that's like issue issue one. It's the first adventure. and, but, um, and I'm digressing, I, the, uh, so, uh, what you do though, is there's, I think it's six of those is what's called a collection in the SCRPG terminology. And I think that's like a good way, cause you, you, you do those issues, you come to a collection end and that's like the resolve. That's the resolution. That's the meeting of the goal or the finishing of the location kind of thing where this has been packaged but that doesn't mean the story is over kind of thing. And you continue to build these collections up um, to, into a larger campaign. Um, and I, I think that's like another another way for me to like, kind of wrap my brain around like an arc deal is, is how would this story all kind of collect, have somewhat of a bow on it, but not so much that it's done, you know, but it's, it's gonna continue, but there's been growth that happens because of that and experience and more story and goals have been met that kind of stuff so i I just trying to kind of wrap my brain around more of the arc idea and again i think that's helpful for the gm whereas like as a player i'm i'm kind of noting those things like for me with the stones it's like oh there is a sense of like we accomplished something because we now have this And it's not just like oh well somebody just got more powerful because we can make use of this which is also a perk but it's like this was a mission this was a quest we have been given or we have taken upon ourselves (laughs) one way or the other um but we we have this thing now and we're that much farther along um we're moving on to the next thing so i like i feel like i note that as a player but you never said, okay, now it's time for the arc of the sandstone. You know, like that, that's not a, a thing. So, um, I, I definitely like it's super helpful for me as a design, as I'm designing games, as I'm not designing games, but designing the story to the best I can of like thinking through that.
0: Yeah. And, uh, remember as you guys are beginning your GM, um, process in live you know, life of GMing, you'll probably start off by saying hey i'd like to run a session or two mm-hmm. so you're looking at what's called a one shot one shot is a couple sessions that that uh, give the characters a chance to kind of play as those characters and know them but there's not a whole lot beyond that you, you're yep. you're getting a feel for it uh you may only go one level you may not even go a level you know a level up in right. your one shot mm-hmm. Uh, when you get to a, uh, an arc, uh, so you may say, okay, I want to run, um, you know, several sessions, not just a one shot where it's like, we come in and play for one time or maybe two. And we, we, we finish one little goal, but I'm going to kind of run a series of goals together that make a story. Uh, and then that's kind of like what he was talking about with the collection, right? For the, uh sentinels comic rpg but then there's that whole idea of if this is a huge like uh, something that you're going to spend like a a year in with your people and there's going to be significant growth they're going to have multiples of those so you know you may only be at the stage where you're doing one shots uh in that in that case a campaign arc is a little bit bigger than what you're doing you're doing session arcs kind of thing you're going to do one or two sessions yeah yeah. Uh, campaign arcs a little bigger than that and then if you get to where you're feeling like i really like this and i want to take a group like all the way through a story that's a campaign Mm -hmm. Uh, and so just kind of make sure you know those differences too yeah you're you're not necessarily planning a campaign if you're just trying to do a one shot or two Mm -hmm. and get your feet wet in it Uh, and the same with if you just decide to to put enough of those together that there is a major goal that's an art that's a that's a campaign arc That we're talking about now and then a whole campaign is many of those arcs together
1: right yeah and all of those are beautiful and awesome you know kind of thing too i think that's that's really good to differentiate those and also like all of those are totally legitimate ways of gathering people and telling stories and stuff so um i've a lot of times i feel like i'm like where can i where can I play and how, how can we make this happen? Is it going to be a one? Is it going to be a three? Is it going to be a 10 week thing? Or is this like our Thursdays where it's like, I ongoing. see no end. <laughs> <Yeah>, I'm <right. laughs> you know, going until we that. feel like it's you know, done. <laughs> yeah. So all, all those are really good ways to to jump in and get your feet wet. So yeah, it's cool.
0: All right. Uh, I don't know if I have a whole lot more here on campaign arc. Uh, This is a weird one because it's kind of that middle. I mean, the campaign itself takes a lot of a thought and like for me, ruminating and reflecting and just like imagination. And that happens along the way in the campaign arc. I'm going to fill in details that I maybe had just a rough idea of at the beginning. Um, Then I have this part here where I'm, I'm. I'm hitting sections and, and a lot of times for me, that's goals. The next one uh, can be a little more uh, practical because right. it's like, okay, I'm coming into a session tonight. What do I need to have planned and what's going to happen? Uh, and that's like the feet on the ground. And so yeah. we do want you to make sure to hit that one uh, whenever that one is published here in a couple sure. of weeks. Yeah. Uh, but let's go ahead for today. We're going to wrap, put a bow on the campaign arc planning. And again, we may have missed something that you have a question about. As Jim, you're like, hey, you know, I was really hoping you would answer this for me in this session. Do drop those in the haversack again. Rise of the GM uh, at gmail.com, or you can go uh, onto any of our socials, um, Rise of the GM, and let us know, and yeah. we'll make sure to kind of. Even wrap that up uh, as we're beginning to talk about sessions here in a couple times, but for now, we're going to go on to our NPC uh, for the week, and Adam is going to divulge.
1: Yeah, yeah. So this is a, again from Masks uh, from numstu um, This is Kale Rodale, the eccentric wizard. Maybe this mm. is one of the wizards having a. Uh, uh, competition from earlier who knows i was
0: thinking about that as we saw yeah. these two again again yeah. just so y'all know these were kind of randomly placed but they do yeah. often seem to fit that hey this npc looks like it could fit in this encounter yeah. starter yeah. we talked about so this could be one of the one of, those, one of yeah. the wizards um he says
1: forgive the gloves but my order does not permit contact of the flesh now tell me where the relic is located or I will demonstrate my vast knowledge in the ways of agony. Uh, Kale, this eccentric wizard, his appearance, uh, he always is seen fully clothed with a high collar and gloves. Other than his face, no exposed flesh can be seen. Um, As far as role-playing, his voice is smooth. So maybe not quite the way I just spoke. Um, But... uh, (laughs) Need to read the thing first. Uh, His voice is smooth and he smiles too much. He never touches anyone and he refuses handshakes or other types of physical contact. Um, His personality, he's oily and unscrupulous. He doesn't establish contact physically or emotionally with anyone or anything. He plays this off often with a smile and a joke by cutting off his physical contact by cutting off, but cutting off all physical contact has left him completely dead emotionally. Um, his motivations is that he is an adventurer in search of money, artifacts, and power. He desperately seeks satisfaction for all he has sacrificed physically and emotionally. Those who disrupt his drive are often dealt with harshly. I mean, the reason for this: he was born the son of a tavern owner, um, and was far more charming than smart with desirous to leave the town where he grew up. His charm gained him entry into a lesser-known school of magic, whose order required a prohibition of physical contact. He entered the school and became a proficient wizard. But after leaving the school, he... And after leaving the school, he traveled with several less-than-scrupulous adventures. Today, Kale is an established wizard with some wealth and power, but is always looking for more. This is Kale Rodale.
0: So what's great about this is do think back to that encounter starter. Mm-hmm. Let's say those guys are in the back room having their little meeting and you spot them and the, there's this guy as one of them. And let's say this is the guy that approaches your party. Right. Uh, it's highly likely that the people in your party don't really like this guy. I mean, mm-hmm. he has that oily kind of uh, aloof, won't touch you, um, yeah, wants yeah. what he wants for his power, uh, but he's offering good money. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. uh, Yeah. Okay. We'll go get that for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then when you get to the room and you guys both walk in at the same time and there's that conundrum, you think back, I don't really like this guy anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, if there's a way to make money, uh, or to like have some other sort of fun and be a little bit at his expense that you might be more likely to do that. So then the question comes, when you look back in that back room and they're making that deal, is it two of these guys that are kind of oily and aloof and like uh, everyone else is just pawns in their game? And so both parties don't really feel an allegiance, or is he talking to someone who's kind of like the night and day? You got the Dumbledore in there talking to this guy, yeah. and it's like, <laughs> oh, everybody loves him. He's so you know kind and wise, and uh, then this other group ends up you know working for that guy, mm. and you're like, oh man, maybe we should help them. You, know, I yeah. think that can have an effect, and so you know playing this kind of character can have a little bit of influence on what right. kinds of responses your player characters might have, even if he hires them in relation to him. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You were just getting ready to mute because that train's coming, weren't you? Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't tell the base. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: yeah. I think uh, this even, there's some other uh, NPCs we've talked about with this, but I feel like even as again, I'm kind of thinking as a player, if I'm engaging with Kale Rodale here, I'm gonna I'm gonna be suspicious of the it's it's the power of like talking about like what they look like, how they dress and how they interact with people, you know, and a good a good call to do that with NPCs no matter what they are and how how like much they're supposed to be in your game, like to be able to do that. But uh as a player, I'm I'm gonna be like, okay, what's the deal with this dude? You know, and really from what this is saying, it's just about like, that's the order that he's a part of. The rule is you don't have physical contact, you know, kind of thing. And um, there's not really, I mean, that's kind of an interesting thing, but there's not more to it, but I'm going to be wondering like, okay, like is this guy like monstrous under those gloves or like, what is he dead? And this is an illusion or like, you know, those kind of things. And I think that that even adds to the the interest and is a good a good challenge to do that with our NPCs. Um, I like him. Yeah, I think he's interesting. Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know much more to do with him than that. <laughs> I'm stuck I on think, the wizards. Yeah. I'm stuck on the wizards having the competition, and I can't.
0: Yeah, Get out of I that. think one thing that could be interesting, if you took this character and you decided to put him into a game and and uh, develop him out some, would be like, what's the purpose of no contact in the order? Mm. Yeah, make up some stuff. Uh, first thing yeah. comes to mind for me is that maybe um, we find out that the when people touch and interact, life force is shared, which is why there's a connectedness and a cohesiveness among people who like are you know the the people you touch more the people that you are more familiar with there's a tighter bond uh all this is invisible but like in their order they see they they can be very aware of uh power moving between skin as people touch and so their whole thing is about maintaining every bit of power and so these things that pour into them are in no way connecting them to the rest of the world and they're just this uh, there's a dam in them that bottles up all of the the power. And so they become power hungry because all they want is this power. You know what, you could play with that. Um, and that doesn't have to be the reason. It could be something else. But you think about like, what could the reason be behind no contact in this order? And that might become a little story arc of its own, you know, figuring out like, oh, this is why this order is like this. And yeah. because of that, boom, you know, who knows? Right, so, yeah. Yeah, there you go, a little in NPC there that you might drop in. And again, you don't have to do any of these things we talked about, but you can just think, okay, here's this kind of oily guy who people stick their hand out to shake it. And he just kind of moves back and yeah. kind of plays with his own fingers and looks at them awkwardly and makes them feel <laughs> awkward in the process.
1: I, I do have a, like, and I, it's more about the encounter thing, but the, uh, so we have the, We have Kale Rodale here, this oily, like not super, uh, you don't maybe very dislikable, (laughs) it seems like. Um, And you have this other wizard who is everybody loves and they're in this competition and they hired the other people. Uh, But we do a -a flipperoo where this guy (laughs) may be oily and unscrupulous, but like, isn't evil
0: maybe he's got the more honorable intentions
1: yeah but this guy over here who everybody loves actually has ill designs for the relic you know kind of thing and um Mm -hmm. i think that's you're you're talking about the uh how do you like get this player to trust finally last time you know it's like okay this person never trusts but how do you like put these things and help them like learn to trust and then like destroy that trust by betraying (laughs) and then trying to do it, you know, kind of thing. And I I think that could be an opportunity there too, of like even like preconceived notions of, oh, yeah, this guy's this guy's the best. And oh, wait, no, he's like totally selfish and has evil designs. And the guy that we thought the whole time was the problem, you know, that that may be mixing too many things into that encounter. But um, I like those kind of things, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let your imaginations run wild with that guy and uh let us know if you use that we got some haversack questions we do want to get to today before we end so we're going to jump to those right now stick our hand into the haversack and see what we can pull out
1: yeah so um to start um we have a, a quick question from evan bright um and he said how do you keep track of player character powers and abilities throughout a campaign
0: Okay. Uh, I'm going to start by saying, I don't often, (laughs) Uh, except for what I can remember. Uh, So after you've played enough characters, you have a general idea of how characters kind of progress and what powers they get where. Mm -hmm. And you have that kind of as background knowledge. And then based on kind of what they do and what new that they do each level, you get that in your mind. Right, right. Uh, I have had times where I'm pretty sure someone is uh, exploiting beyond the numbers. Uh, yeah. Maybe they're, you know, they have a certain number of key points, and it's like, man, I use another key point. And you're like, wasn't that your 37th key point this <laughs> uh, And then I have to like kind of check on some things to make sure that they're not like way overpowering themselves compared to everybody else by not quite. Doing things as as written, but I don't want to be I don't always want to be like the 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 lawyer the rules lawyer or the uh, You know the guy who's like looking for people Mm -hmm. to to mess up or overdo things uh, Because I want it to be fun, but at the same time. I do want them to all kind of be uh, Level so I don't want one person kind of exploiting their You know, maybe maybe fibbing a little bit on how much they use or their rules and like their powers are just too much because they're they're interpreting it incorrectly, whether on purpose or not, uh, or, or using it yeah. wrong. So occasionally um, I'll say, hey, uh, and I know Adamson is like, hey, everybody, I want you to update your character sheets on, on we have something we call the conflux, you know, some place where we, you know, discord, where we post our characters say, hey, I want everybody, uh, we just hit level five, I want everybody to update all the stuff they have because, I feel like I've gotten a little out of touch and I just want to kind of make sure I know what everybody's uh, able to do and capable of. And then they know I'm going to be looking. And so they may kind of rein themselves in and kind of police themselves a little bit. If they had started getting a little loose with interpretations or or so on. Uh, But keeping track of the powers and abilities doesn't necessarily mean they're trying to cheat. Maybe it's just you like not being aware of, and how do you keep track of that? Um, I don't a lot, you know, they bring something up and they're like, yeah, this is a power I got at level five. And and I may have been a little bit unaware of that, but I just play it, <laughs> I yeah, play I the ball where it lies and go from there. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that is exactly answering the question that Evan had or mm-hmm. what exactly he was, he was getting at there. What What's your thoughts on that, Adam?
1: A lot and none at all. Like <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> I fall similarly, that's not a thing I'm typically gonna like be really on top of because uh, I think I think I may be misquoting, but I'll, I'm gonna quote yourself back to you, Evan. Who I remember one time, Evan saying like, "If someone is cheating at an RPG, then there may be more things going on than <laughs> like I can't remember the exact quote, <laughs> but it's like we have more things to worry about, you know, if we like." uh, a game that you can't really win, you know, kind of thing. So, um, but, uh, but I, I, I'm not like constantly on that. Um, I'm like Matthew, you know, it's, I think there's some times where it's like, Hey, I think I didn't really understand how you rolled 17 D 10s to attack, you know, or that kind of thing. Like, so I need to, I need to dig in there and see, um, I do think motivation of like GM, I'll just talk about myself, like the times where I am like, man, I really need to like audit everybody. It's like, okay, what are my actual motivations for that? Um, Is it, I'm just trying to get a good understanding, make sure we're playing the game in a balanced way. Um, Is it, I want to like figure out a defense for every power that my players have? Cause that's probably not cool. (laughs) You know, I I need to watch that and make sure it's, you know, um, well, my, Cleric has, you know, three uh banishments. So I need to make sure that every villain has like four legendary actions, you know, kind of thing <laughs> or legendary resistances. Resistance. Chris, Chris is like, is like ah! no, it's inuit. which I I am not. I feel bad shutting him down, but it's what they would do. So um, but uh, uh, so I I need to check my motivations. I know when when those things come up. Um, but also I, I think the thing that I get the most it's that player imbalance that i think you were talking about matthew there a little bit of it's like you got the dude who um you have the player over here who is like blowing things away or like they always have a trick you know like for everything or this every spell that they have somehow they have like it just seems like this massive amount of spells um and then you have person over here who like he uses just their bow yeah it's Mm -hmm. like and they they shoot one time and that's it and it's like i'm i'm concerned about i get concerned about the player the power imbalance there which does go back
0: to to be fair it's not just and you're like checking the guy who's super powerful to make sure he's not overdoing it. Sometimes it is the opposite. You exactly. know, you got this yeah. dude, you know, right. using his bow or his sword and you're like, dude, let me look at your character. Hey, you know, you have a shocking grasp that you can deliver through your sword because yeah. you're a, mag- a magus and, yeah. you know, and you could be doing your sword damage plus 10d6 when you do this. And yeah. they're like, oh. I didn't know that. So sometimes you're you're keeping track of player characters and powers for them to like point out, Hey, don't forget you can do more here. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I've been in a lot of situations where it's like, Hey, uh, I think like the last several rounds, you only attacked once and you actually have like three attacks every round like that. And it's like, if you're wanting to make that choice, cool, but like you can do more or, so that's the thing I get more concerned with when I'm, if I am wanting to track and, you know, I'd say, um, like I, I would say, I don't know, every several, three, four levels, I'm typically wanting to like, kind of engage a little bit and like, hey, could I just take a look at like what your new powers are, or maybe not even ask and just go into, you know, it's like, if it's Pathfinder, I'm gonna go to the D20 PFSRD and look up uh, what's the rogue's ability at level five, you know, cause I haven't noticed for a while. Um, do a little work there a little a little um inquiry um if you're doing like D 5e and using D beyond it's super easy like i i know like in my campaign i can get into everybody's characters and peruse at will um so that that makes it easy um but i think just like asking even for character sheets if you're just like and again letting people know like i'm not trying to shut you down i just want to like understand what this is um i do think there's a case and it's part of what I love, but like not starting a game super high level or like mid level, even it's like, I like to start lower because then you have the ability to grow together and yeah, they have a good, under- the players have a good understanding of like, this is what I can do. I don't have to learn seven levels of mm-hmm. powers and stuff right away, but also like as a GM, it's like, uh, I don't have to learn five people's powers for the last, you know, it's like, that's, gets kind of crazy. But there's a piece of me that kind of likes being surprised too. I will say that like, go, go back to Pip, um, the cleric. Like the first time he whipped out a banishment, I was like, what what and awesome and dang it you know like kind of thing all what the same time. awesome
0: dang it um, all in quick know, succession those
1: those things like it's like that was amazing great use of that spell that really stinks because that was kind of a big thing and now everybody's just gonna wail on it when it comes back or uh like royal um razael uh, last time pulled out a counter spell like just counterspell you know and i'm like oh like i i was i've been waiting for a counter spell and he just like whipped that out and just shut it down you know and i'm like yes <laughs> would be cool now i know you have that you know so um uh, <laughs> making note of those things you know but yeah. um i don't want to like target you know people's stuff either so you got to kind of kind of watch that so hopefully that answered something i don't know um but i think just like communicating that hey like i just want to be aware of what everybody has um i do go back and forth with like sometimes i'm like yeah i really want to know everybody's acs because i want to know if these creatures actually can hit them but i also don't want to just be like always creating things at the tier that you are it's like sometimes you do walk into the goblin camp and they can't touch you because you're that awesome, you know, and and not just like trying to play up to those levels. But yeah. So yeah. That's my thoughts.
0: All right. What's our next um, one in the Haversack?
1: So uh this the second one here, um, the base question is how do you deal with resurrection and revivify? spell revivify spells in your games um this one is from clyde the bard and actually just to give a little bit of background for all of you this is this was a conversation that um happened through our instagram account um and i kind of wanted to distill that that's the base question how do you deal with resurrection and revivify spells in your games and but i wanted to share a little bit of the conversation because i kind of talked into this but i'm not going to give everything um uh Clyde the Bard um, said, you know, this is in the topic of resurrection and bringing players back from the dead in general. And he said, my main gripe with it is how easy it is for players to come back from the dead, which is at higher levels, makes death an absolute non-issue unless you TPK total party kill, which is also a super difficult to do at higher levels in a compelling way. And B not really something I believe GMs should be aiming to do. Totally agree. We shouldn't be just trying to kill everybody. I don't think (laughs) that's, that's my thought. Um, so the question was, how do you go about making death a very real threat while not making spells like resurrection and revivify completely redundant? And, you know, we had, we had some conversation back and forth. Um, I'm not going to share all of that, but a lot of it had to do with like, when these things come into play when players get a hold of revivify or resurrection the stakes do in some ways lower it feels like because you can just well you died but we can just bring you back like that's not as big of a deal it seems like um so he was posing some questions about like do you single out the caster in combat well that's not cool that's probably not what we should do just kill the healer every time you know even though that could be a tactic for some people it's like we know those people heal so we got to take them out it's a good player tactic um right. do you make material so rare that it's it's really difficult to do um
0: do you right. it takes uh, what 300 gold worth of diamonds to, yeah it's, revivify
1: yeah revivify, and it like incrementally goes up with like resurrection and then like a true resurrection yeah those are expensive but there's a certain point where it's like know and again we're talking kind of like 5e here at this point it's like there's a certain point where like oh 300 gold pieces meh you know and um that's not as big a deal but at first it would be um uh, he kind of ended with i understand that a gm shouldn't be trying to kill their players but there's a stark contrast between trying to kill your players and trying to create an encounter where your players have to approach a situation Where decisions are actually important, and I thought that was a really good, good thought, you know. There, so my answers for what it's worth here, and then I'm gonna, I want, I'd love for you to talk into your thoughts here, Matthew. Is, um, you know, I I express my agreement. I've, I feel like there is some like loss of stakes sometimes because of that, Um, and it seems easier to just kind of come back from death at times than maybe it should. Um. But one of the things I brought up was like uh, consistency and communication, which I think could be across the board for a lot of these rules, things are like, if we're having discussions about how do we deal with this, like letting players know, because, you know, I wouldn't want, let's say Pip, you know, I, which I don't know. if I've seen him do these things, but I don't want Chris to like, build him his whole character around like being able to resurrect people and then me to like say, Oh no, that's not how it works anymore. Need to communicate those things with him. Um, and also for there to be consistency across the game, um, the way we're doing things, even like, okay, what about NPCs that are being raised? Are they, is is it consistent in those, the way that we're treating those things? So I think that's really important. Um, uh, a thing I brought up, and this is not my original thing, but it's something I actually have started using. Um, it just hasn't been seen very much because we haven't had a lot of death. But um, that I'm actually adding a DC to those things now. Um, whatever system it's in, of like if there is resurrection possibility or revivify possibility, that there still is a DC. It's very minor to start out with. I'm I'm setting it as a ten to start. So like if Matthew's character Eliacum dies tonight and they need to bring him back, DC 10 is what the, the DC to raise him, that the cleric or whoever is doing that's going to make use of. Um, and the thing I also, and this, this may have been a critical role, or I don't know where Matt got it from, but like people even being able to make a kind of more of a ritual out of it where the party I remember a scene specifically where like one of the characters is like begging them to come back. <laughs> you know, it's like they are begging them to come back. And there, there was like a role made of even like, okay, this is adding to the bonus the cleric's gonna get. Or another like religious character was praying to their patron to like also empower this thing they added you know stuff and i really like that idea even from because i I like the idea of death being a storytelling opportunity also where it's not just like okay you got hit you're dead um we're all gonna just kind of do our own thing and loot the bodies while the cleric goes over says he's back alive and then he's up you know like i i like the idea of that being more than just that um adding the ritual thing. Um, Some other ideas. Actually, I'm going to hold off. I have two more ideas, but I don't want to just keep talking. So Matthew, what are your thoughts like in some of that stuff and this idea of like, how do you deal with resurrection without lowering the stakes?
0: So back in the day when I played Pathfinder, um, first of all, I don't know if Revivify was around in Pathfinder. I don't remember Revivify. I remember Resurrection which right. was a higher level spell, that they would have to go find a high enough level wizard. And I could make those yeah. as scarce as I wanted to uh, until they got up to those level themselves. But it was pretty high. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in those, uh, I liked to, so I remember in the uh, Oracle of Order campaign I had, I, they started off each of them with one Philosopher's Stone, which would revive you know, resurrect one person, Mm -hmm. you know, each, each stone. So each of them basically had an extra life, although Adam used two of those and somebody else didn't get to use theirs at all. Uh, (laughs) but this was a way to say, all right, you might get into something that you didn't expect would be as hard as it is. And then it kills you. You get a free, Mm -hmm. you get a free one up. But then after that, you you know, you don't and you can't just find these guys. Um, that was a lot easier back then. Now um, Revivify is a spell that's on people's spell list. And that's like, you have one minute up to a minute after mm-hmm. they die. If you wait longer than a minute, it doesn't work. Right. And so that's one yeah. thing as a GM, you can kind of keep track of when they do it. If you make your battle last more than six rounds or 10 rounds, whatever it is, <laughs> six seconds Ten, per hour. Yeah, yeah. uh, so that could be one thing. Um, but then, so, okay, a couple of thoughts here. First of all, it's a third level spell they don't have unlimited third level spells and they're doing other True. things as well so right. they also you know can't just revive everybody there is uh especially if it's a really hard battle and say two people died
1: yeah right <laughs> they
0: might have to choose one um and then figure out what to do from there uh but beyond that kind of keeping track of the spells and keeping track of the time I'm kind of of the opinion that when they get to a certain level and they pick these spells and maybe they, they save all their 3rd level spells just for this because they want to be the you know the the guy who catches anybody who falls through you know like the net of of, of a bad battle right. and they want to they want to be that safety net I want to give them the opportunity to have that kind of role. Uh, now, what you're saying is you don't want death to just become like, meh, death. I got Revivify. Okay, right. First of all, keep track of stuff because they can't just Revivify everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay? Secondly, and, and I think Revivify is one of those you have to wait for a long rest. You just don't give them opportunities to rest a lot. You know? yeah, okay, right. So they use those up in the first battle, but you got three or four or six more battles before you're going to give them a long rest. Mm-hmm. They can't just use Revivify all the time. Uh, yeah, they're out. Sure. And that's part of that resource management. Uh, but secondly, uh, I think, you know, give them that opportunity to do that, uh, and think about like, where can I use this? And not going to be careful of how much I use. Uh, but then like in the times where you really want it to be this important, like, oh no, we better really consider because, um, this might not work is to have some places where revivify and those sorts of things don't work and they know about this before going in so there's a, there's a, a module called tomb of annihilation and in tomb of annihilation it says this any spell that breathes life into the dead including revivify raise dead resurrection true resurrection automatically fail if cast on a humanoid whose soul is either trapped in a soul or has been devoured by the uh, atropyl so he has these yeah. these uh devices in the game i think uh in this module they have these devices these soul mongers that can trap a person's soul while they're still fighting and doing stuff they can trap the soul or this uh Atropal, i don't know exactly what that is uh, devoured by this i'm assuming that's a beast <laughs> that is specific to this Tomb of Annihilation. But mm-hmm. you can have these sorts of things that if if their soul happens to be in one of these two places, these don't work, okay? Mm-hmm. And so then all of a sudden they get like a little more frightened, they're like, oh no. And so you wouldn't want to do this all the time. Uh, you wouldn't want to just be like, okay, and now the world that you're in is just full of these beasts that devour your soul and these things that trap your soul. And so your revivify never works anymore save it for like really important, like epic battles, like the end, uh, you know, they get to this place and say in your world, you decide this is a thing from the very beginning. You you're like worried that it's too easy to revive people. Okay. So in my game back in Pathfinder, I just decided I wanted to give them one extra life and they weren't going to be able to find a lot of wizards. So I built that in from the beginning. You might build in from the beginning. You guys are in this world and in this world, there are certain, you know, devices, uh, around the world that, uh, when you're in their presence, mm-hmm. none of these things work. And yeah, I right. just know this from the beginning. I think it's like Adam was saying, you got to have that communication and it's got to be consistent. Mm-hmm. You can't just like out of the blue say, okay, now you're with a whole bunch of things and your, your spells don't work. And for your information, that's going to be that way now for the rest of this campaign. And that guy's like, great. I hate this game. (laughs) So you don't want that, but you also want it to be important. You want them to have to think about death. So in addition to giving them enough battles that they run out of their third level spells, and then they have to get more, you know, conservative in what they do because they can't just like, you know, you only have so many of those. And the truth is, it's probably very few, to be honest. Um, So think about it as any other resource right when people start to run out of spells they get a lot more cautious in how they come into battles Mm -hmm. and they everything becomes more important because Mm -hmm. i can't heal you the way i used to i can't revivify if something goes bad i can't do this i can't do that in addition make a few places that even if they go in full strength they know at the outset this place is harmful because you cannot revivify when you're in this place right yeah those are some things some things i would do uh you know the dc thing when i was first thinking about it i'm like oh that could be cool but uh, at the same time, you're taking like one of this person's like things that they're about, you know. Like so, like right now, I'm a I'm a guy who has like this uh, blaster and flies a mobile, and I'm I'm just a big cannon. And if if suddenly like everything had you know dr to to my you know the, my weapon that I hit with. I would start to feel pretty useless and I would get uh, bored and I would start to tune out of the game. Yeah, And I think the same thing if you take away the complete ability to revivify or if it just like, gets too incredibly hard because this dc keeps climbing now that may all just be like in one setting but i think the number of third level spells you're going to have already works as a limit on how many times that's going to happen that's true. so you may not ever get to 17 deaths yeah. in a, unless you have a whole party of clerics and then you got other troubles because <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah, not, that's not yeah. well-rounded enough to do right, most yeah. things yeah. yeah so i think uh learning uh, here, and here's something i had to learn as a gm I would start when I was gymming. I'd be like, "Okay, here we go. We're in this session. There's a big battle. Mm-hmm. All right, now you guys can just sleep all night. All right, now yeah. here's a battle. Now you guys can sleep. You know, you go in there and hole up in that room and sleep. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I had to come to a place where I had to think enough in advance to think, okay, there's not going to be a rest point that they're going to have that's safe right. in these battles. Yeah. And my players would push it. They'd be like, uh, "Can't can't we just?" go behind that door and all lean up against the door and rest and i'm like oh you can try and then they get all nervous because and with good reason because i was going to have something that could just easily push them all aside <laughs> and up against the door right in the middle of their sleep attacking them without their armor on whatever mm-hmm. uh, i had to get to a place where i could put enough battles that their resources went down and then not just right. their spells but their hit points and their rations you know i had to like think part of a game is can i overcome you with my big bad mm. uh, when you're at full strength but then part of the game is using up resources yeah. um, and and then making them get more cautious as those resources right. yeah. get less and less yeah. and so yeah. that can be one way too and yeah. uh i don't know uh I, I agree though i do think uh though i want to allow things like revivify to be part of a character's um like power <laughs> i don't want it to become a hand wave and like. Mm-hmm especially I don't want it to become where they're not paying attention to how many spells they have. And they're just like, Oh, he's dead. Yeah. I, I have revivify. I'll cast that on him. And it's like, they're not really marking stuff down. I'll be like, okay, right. how many of you use today? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, this might be some more battles. Yeah. But you can do that. Right. How many you have left? Okay. One. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say stuff like that. Then they're like, Oh no, <laughs> he's mm-hmm. going to kill so many people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think that's, that is really good of uh, the, there being a limiter already, you know, kind of thing in that. And, um, something I just like maybe flip, I want to flip and speak to just as players too, um, that I think it's like worth both on the. So one question I think is like a, just a player in general is like, how do I want death to be deal dealt with as a player? And then from a healer standpoint, if you're playing like a cleric or a druid or somebody who can get, get a hold of these kind of things um, or whatever your healer is and whatever system you're playing. Um, What do I want to, how do I want to treat like resurrection so that it's not just like he's up, you know, and there's, there's fun to that of like, no, he's, he's not dead anymore. But um, like, how do I play that out? And like, how does that become a story element as well? And not just like a mechanic. Um, And again, I'm seeking in some types of fun here where maybe the type the fun that you're having is saying haha no alive you know kind of thing and that's all you want that's cool but i i do think from like the greater story there is some interest like i i think about um so the frozen veil of tears in in matthew your game uh dormant mind there was like we could not rest because we were taking damage. If we touched the floors, the walls, like we did all kinds of ideas to try to figure out how can someone lay down for six hours or eight hours and like rest. And it's like, no, there's just not, it's too cold. We're taking damage like constantly because of the frigid temperatures. It's not safe. We cannot like resting is not possible. And there was definite like attrition of our resources. And like, for me, barbarian it's like my resource is kind of my giant sword and my rage so like i had a lot of rages but what who was really being taxed was our healer was was josh you know and um that healing was slowly being eked away throughout all of this and we were so used to like you know i was used to um yeah i lost 80 hit points in this battle and now i'm back up to full because he just, you
0: just touched me, me you here? know kind
1: of thing and um no big deal and i think i'm trying to remember when the the timing was and i'm going to get to the point eventually but like it may have been even before we entered in there but it definitely was during that cuz that was several that was a lot of sessions that we were like doing things mm-hmm. within that um and cormac my barbarian you know it wasn't just it was me, but it wasn't like just me as a player like this. how I always want to deal with things. But Cormac was starting to feel very thin was the story I was telling with him was like, I am only surviving on these achilling magics. I am a destroyed husk of a person because I am being devastated every time we have a fight. I am on death's door every time. And the only thing holding me together is this like celestial healing magic that constantly is being infused into me. Like I don't even feel like myself anymore kind of thing. That was kind of the, that was the story I was wanting to tell with him. Mm -hmm. And there was a point where I remember I I had a conversation with Josh, the healer, you know, um, Kairos, he's playing Kairos, our healer, amazing healer. But like I had a, I had a player to player conversation with him but also there was an in-game conversation cormac to the team you know of like me saying to josh like hey like as a player like i don't want cormac raised from the dead like if he dies he dies you know kind of thing and i don't i don't want because he had ability to raise to like resurrect like cormac is not he's like feeling too thin he feels like he's not even a person anymore if he dies for whatever reason, he, you know, and so we had that as a player, we needed to communicate that. But Cormac speaking that also of like, I don't even, you know, he's having a conversation with Amira about like, I don't even feel like myself anymore and those kind of things. So I well, think there's
0: something yeah. to throw in the middle of that. Um, I remember in that case that I think Kairos probably still would have tried to bring you back to life at that point, even though you had asked, but he was in fact enthralled from a, a fail, failed will save he was enthralled upstairs in a different room and so those kinds of things can happen too. think okay who are the people who can revivify um there's things that can you know so like in in the campaign the jade mask we're playing now i'm like an incredible blaster but my will is horrible and if he ever like has a somebody who like can charm or dominate yeah my guy like has big troubles and so yeah you think about that not everybody's going to have revivify uh so just because somebody has it there's not always the case that they're going to be able to use it even if they Mm -hmm. would as is the case with kairos and cormac uh kairos was upstairs kind of stuck in a in a failed will save while cormac was down there getting his chest beat in by an ice giant Mm
1: -hmm. yep yeah Yeah, so tell, tell good stories you know that that's my my thing and um you know, as a, I don't, I don't know that I've ever played. We had that conversation. Like I played that priest that one time, but not really like playing the healer. I love to have the like healing word to be able to get people (laughs) back in the fight, but like, not really the resurrector, but I, I think there's something cool even as like a player, not making the DM create this giant ritual of things, but like as a player, you know, I'm okay. I'm, I'm going to bring this in and I party please come in here because we need to focus our energy here as we are preparing this body to be brought back if they desire, you know, like, and, and like actually playing that out, I think is like a really cool player move of let's tell the story of this too, and not just like making a mechanical thing and then let's move on. So that's, that's my two cents on that too.
0: All right. So I think uh, we're going to let that be our our last question for today. We have another question that's stuck in the haversack we'll pull out next time, but uh, we're so glad you guys could join us here on Rise of the GM. Don't forget, we won't have our normal planning episode next week, but we will have a little Thanksgiving feast episode um, that'll happen. So uh, do join us for that. Don't forget, you can go to Rise of the GM Uh, at gmail.com and leave a question for us. You can go on any of our socials and keep up with us there. We are so thankful for all of you guys who watch and uh, are part of this. But for now, you guys have a great Thanksgiving weekend. We'll catch you afterwards.